Hello and welcome back to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast. This is the show where I talk to developers who are also into business of one form or another, and I try to get a sense of how they got to where they are and how they do the things they do. So if you're a developer who wants to get into business, or if you're already in business and you just want to see where to go next, then hopefully this show is of value to you. This is episode 29 with Christopher Gimmer. Quick announcement, I have just launched my latest teaching focus, which is going to be on security for React applications. You can find it at reactsecurity.io. So if you're a React developer and you want to find out how to do things like add authentication and authorization to your app, if you want to find out how to harden your front-end React code, then I've got some courses that will show you how to do just that. There are some free course offerings. There are some pro courses. Hopefully you can find something that is useful for you. Head over to reactsecurity.io to check it out. My guest today is Christopher Gimmer. Christopher is an entrepreneur and investor and is the co-founder of Snappa, a self-funded SaaS app that helps non-designers create online graphics. Christopher left his day job in 2014 to work on startups full-time and has been focusing on business and investing ever since. Christopher, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to uh, have you here. I, I'm very excited to chat about uh, Snappa and everything that's that's going on with your product. I, I saw, um, I, I came across your profile from a tweet that I saw um, announcing a, a revenue milestone. Um, so maybe tell tell us about uh, Snappa, what it is, and what that recent milestone uh, revenue-wise was. Yeah, so Snappa is a uh, it's a SaaS app that basically helps non-designers create online graphics. Um, so, you know, we kind of noticed several years ago that a lot of, um, you know, marketers were doing, you know, content marketing and social media, uh, I being one of them at the time. And so it was, you know, you basically had two options. Either you had to rely on um, either an in-house designer or you had to contract a, a freelance designer or you kind of had to, you know, learn Photoshop or, you know, some of these other complicated tools. Uh, so we basically designed like a just an easy to use graphic design tool, um, catering more to like marketers and small business owners uh, to help them design graphics. Um, and yeah, just recently we hit a million dollars in uh, annual recurring revenue. So it was kind of awesome. uh, a pretty exciting milestone to hit. Yeah, congratulations! That's really cool. And I, I think you're a you're a small outfit. I, I mean, is it is it you and a co-founder, uh, and then do you have staff, or is it just the two of you? Yeah, so there's uh, myself and a co-founder, and then we have four uh, full-time employees. Um, uh, uh, we're we're all in Canada, and then we work with like a couple freelancers. Okay, very good. So yeah, um, you know, small uh, small outfit with with high revenue. That's that's kind of the uh, where you want to be, I think. So congratulations, that's that's really cool. Um, I, I'd love to chat about maybe how um, how you kind of got into SaaS, uh, SaaS products and maybe your story there, what, what it is that led you, uh, to a spot now where you, you're a co-founder of a SaaS product. Um, and so maybe, uh, just, I guess really broadly, like why, why a SaaS product for you? What, what attracts you personally to, to being the co-founder of a SaaS product? Well, the thing we were working on before Snappa was, uh, a marketplace for, uh, bootstrap themes and templates and, you know, it was just, it was kind of lumpy, right? So every, every month you're starting from zero. 
Um, we were, you know, reliant on submissions from the theme authors. There's not a ton of differenti uh, differentiations and kind of the, the products that we're selling. And so the more I started learning about SaaS and recurring revenue, especially as a, as a bootstrap business, just to, just to not have to start from zero every single month and, and at least have that base. Um, and the other thing that's really attractive about SaaS is just how predictable your growth can be. Um, mm. So if you know, you know what your acquisition rates are, what your churn is, um, you can kind of put together a pretty good forecast of, you know, where you're going to be a month from now, three months from now, six months from now, obviously things are, things are going to change. Um, and that also makes it really easy um, or a lot easier to hire. Um, hmm. So it was just, you know, SaaS is just a really good business model, to be honest. Um, and so we wanted to, um, you know, move, move to that business model as opposed to relying on one-time sales and having to start from zero every month, if you will. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I think that's, you know, the, the ultimate goal of a, a lot of folks who are getting into to products um, is to have that monthly recurring revenue, that predictable income. Um, getting to that point, though, where you've got a good monthly recurring revenue uh, can take some time. Um, you know, we hear lots of stories of, of companies that, you know, they spend many months, maybe even many years to get to a point where they've got a really good, solid monthly recurring revenue. Um, did it take a while for Snappa? Or was it a rather quick um, transition into good, solid full-time or good, solid monthly recurring revenue? Yeah, so for us, um, it I think we hit 10K in like six months or something like okay. that. Um, and we've more or less grown about 20 to 25K in MRR per year. Um, so it, it, it took us just over a year or sorry, just over four years to hit a uh, million dollars in, in uh, annual recurring revenue. So and it was we had slightly faster growth in some years, slightly slower uh, in others. Like 2018 was a bit slower. 2019, we had a really good year. Um, but yeah, if you kind of zoom out of our of our MRR chart, it's more or less just like steady up and to the right, not parabolic, no hockey sticks, just very right. boring, slow and steady. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, like you mentioned, can can seem a bit boring, but that's I think that's that's ultimately where where you want to be. Um, kind of on that note, you know, a lot of companies, when they get to the kinds of revenue that you're doing, they start to get interest from investors. I mean, you're a bootstrap company. Um, you, you've done this without any outside investment, from what I can see. Um, have you at this point had investors interested in coming in and uh, kind of knocking on your door all the time saying, hey, we want to give you more money to, to grow even bigger? Yeah, so we haven't taken any outside funding. Um, it's, it's been completely bootstrapped up until now. Uh, we've definitely had some <laughs> interest uh, over the years and along the way. And and funny enough, when I did put that tweet out, uh, probably had at least five <laughs> VCs <laughs> email me wanting to chat. Um, so yeah, there there's definitely uh, interest there, but um, not something we're you know seriously evaluating at this point. Yeah. And so maybe get into why that is for you. I mean, there's there's all sorts of benefits that we've heard about to being bootstrapped, like you're not beholden to investors and their whims and their wishes for your product to hit certain revenue milestones. Um, is that the most important part for you to be bootstrapped or how do you how do you guys think about uh, wanting to be a bootstrap company versus taking investment? Yeah, that's part of it. Um, I'm I'm by no means anti VC like, I you know, 
I'm definitely not one of these people who's like, don't ever raise money. VCs are evil kind of thing. Uh, the way I think about it is, do we need the money? Um, are, you know, are, are we on a rocket ship where we're barely hanging on? You know, the reality is there's some companies, um, you know, you look at Shopify and Stripe, um, you know, Slack, like th these are really great companies that it just would have been extremely hard uh, to get to that scale. Well, would have been impossible to get to that scale um, when they're bootstrapped. Um, but then on the other hand, you have a lot of you know, SaaS companies that take money without really proving that they absolutely need it. Um, mm. And they could probably be really good one to $10 million businesses, but that's not exciting for a VC. In fact, that's, that's failure uh, for VC. Right. And yeah. so the reality is when I look at Snappa, um, you know, I don't, I, I, I mean, we've already hit the million. Uh, I think we can continue to grow. Um, but if I look at, you know, how do we come a billion dollar company, it's a bit murkier. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I don't really want to take on tons of funding without having like a super clear vision of, you know, how we get to a billion dollars. The other thing is that the value proposition of Snappa is that we help small businesses and, and solopreneurs make it super easy to design graphics. Mm -hmm. The reality is, um, that's not a billion dollar market. <laughs> um, so if we if we raise money, then, you know, we would definitely have to have like an enterprise plan and and, mm. you know, maybe do things outside of just, you know, pure designing. And then all of a sudden I feel like, well, we've now lost our value proposition and, and you know, the reason why people are paying us money. Sure. So, um, yeah, it's just a combination of you know, we, we've gone to this point without raising money. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we're, we have a really great tool that, that, um, you know, solves a, solves a problem. And so just not really wanting to mess that up. Yeah. I, I, I mean, in my mind, that would be where I'd want to be as well. Right. Like there's, I, and I'm curious too about, like you mentioned the size of the market, you're not sure would be large enough to support like that kind of exponential growth like type of really really big startup but um how do you think about market size when it comes to snappa um and how do you i guess how do you gauge how big the market might be that's something that i'm always curious about i'm not sure if you follow uh justin jackson on twitter but he's uh he he's co-founder of the platform that i actually use for this podcast to host at transistor fm and he talks a lot about markets and how it's really important um to be looking at a when you're when you're thinking about a market to serve the market has to be there first you you can't mm -hmm. bring people to you you can't drag them over to your product if if there's no initial market for it you have to yeah. kind of meet people where they're at and so um it sounds like you've done that with snappa um but i'm curious about how you sort of gauge the market or how you think about you know what the total addressable market might be for for a product like yours yeah so i think with markets you know there's two ways to look at it there's um <laughs> evaluating market size as a bootstrap founder who's not raised money. Um, and then there's looking at market size as uh, a VC funded company, right? So mm. if, if you've taken on VC, then, you know, the, the prototypical slide is how this becomes a billion dollar business and you have this massive TAM and, and whatnot. Um, whereas a bootstrapper, obviously, yeah, you still, you don't want a small market. 
Um, but a, a big market to a bootstrapper is very different than a big market to a VC company. So mm -hmm. if I think about Snappa simply as a bootstrap business, we're definitely in a huge market because the reality is anyone with a small business could get value from our tool, right? Every, um, I mean, especially with, with everything going on right now with the uh, coronavirus, um, mm -hmm. I think that's, well, it's clearly expediting um, you know, more people working from home. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more people starting online businesses. I think people are going to be maybe a bit more weary of, of brick and mortar and, and all this kind of stuff. And the reality is like, if you market a business online, you need graphics, right? Yeah. You need graphics for your social media. You need graphics for your blog. You need graphics for your website. Um, so yeah, our addressable market is, is, is very big. Um, but Right now, our price points are, you know, 10 to $15 a month for a, a single user or um, 20 to $30 a month for uh, a team plan. So mm. if you look at, you know, again, you look at a company like Shopify or Slack or Stripe, you'll find that maybe 5% of their revenue is coming from the low end of, of the market. And like probably 90% is coming from a few massive enterprise customers. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I say, you know, for now it, it's as a bootstrap company, I mean, the market is more than big enough for us. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas if we wanted to be a billion dollar company, well, now we really have to start thinking about, you know, adding an enterprise plan and landing more higher value customers with thousands of right. dollars of, of lifetime value. So that, that's kind of how I think about it. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm curious about pricing. Um, you mentioned the plans that you've got kind of if you're, it sounds like if you're solo, it's 10 to 15 a month and then there's team plans for 20 to 30 price point. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> why, I guess, why that price point uh, specifically? And, and had you explored other various price points? I'm always you know curious about how SaaS products get priced. And one of the common things that I've seen around recently is like, if you want to increase your revenue, take your current offerings and just bump up the price. Um, mm. So I'm curious about if you think about ever think about doing that or, or how how pricing works for, for a product like yours. Uh, pricing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think the best scientific way that I've heard of pricing is um, I think there's a blog on the ProfitWell website about this. And essentially you ask um, ideally someone who's not already a customer because they're going to be biased. Uh, but you basically asked four questions. Um, so you say, how much would, um, uh, sorry, I have to rethink the questions here. So it's how um, expensive would the product be where you would never consider it? Um, okay. How cheap would the product be where you would question the quality? How, how, what price would it be if you would find it somewhat expensive, but still doable? And then what price, um, uh, would you consider a good value or a good deal? And then, so you kind of plot all this together and essentially what it will give you is like an optimal price. Um, so that's one kind of scientific way of, of arriving at a price. Um, for us, we actually did that at one point. And then the other thing is, you know, we do have uh, a lot of competitors in the space. And so it seems that for whatever, for whatever reason, the kind of uh, SMB tools, uh, market has kind of all settled on this 10 to $20 a month uh, mm. price point. Uh, so that's kind of what we settled on. And one experiment that we did run is, so basically if you're paying us month to month, it's $15. Mm. 
Um, and if you pay us uh, on an annual basis, then it's $120 for, uh, for the year, which works out to uh, $10 a month. So one thing we did try was to bump up the monthly plan to $19 a month and keep the annual pricing the same. And the thesis there was, you know, either we'd make more per monthly user or we would encourage more people to um, pick the annual plan, which would help out churn. Um, and, and we noticed that, you know, churn did spike up quite a bit. So hmm. um, the, you know, standard advice of always charging more and just bumping up your prices didn't totally work for us. Um, and again, I think it's because of the market that we're in, you know, we're, we're catering to the, you know, smaller businesses, um, you know, solopreneurs and whatnot. And the reality is um, there is some price sensitivity in, in um, that level of the market. Um, right. And then, and then the other thing too is, you know, I kind of want to be on the side of people always thinking that they're getting a great deal and great value. Um, you know, I don't necessarily want to be on the side where we're like trying to squeeze every single penny <laughs> right. out of the customers. Right. So, you know, if we're slightly underpriced, then then that's okay. Yeah, yeah, true. What's your? I'd I'd love to circle back to competition. You mentioned that there's a lot of competition in this space. Um, but before we go there, um, what what's your approach to churn? Um, is it that you take a kind of aggressive approach where if someone wants to cancel, you you try as hard as you can to keep them or get them back or whatever? Or because I've seen I've seen both ways with SaaS products. Uh, you, you go to cancel your plan, and it's like they're just pulling at you to, to keep you there. But I've also seen where they're like, okay, so if you don't like the product, that's fine. And you know, I, I always tend to like that better as a consumer, of course, because mm -hmm. you're not being bothered by by the company. But you know, I can see that if a company tries to you know make it right with you for whatever has gone wrong or whatever, maybe that's a good way to keep you. So, what's your recommendation there for how how to approach churn and if if someone wants to cancel their plan? Yeah, I'm really not a fan of like not letting customers cancel and have to call you and all that stuff like I've, i just as a consumer i absolutely hate it so i would definitely not want to put that um on our customers as well um the other thing with snappa is that you know what we've seen uh, so what we did uh, in the early days was we basically when they went to cancel we put an optional field of hey is, is there anything we could have done or you know is, mm. we've kind of changed the question around a couple of times but i think once we had like is there anything we could have done to prevent you from canceling um you know uh, is you know can you tell us why you're canceling kind of thing and we've collected quite a bit of feedback and one thing that we notice is that you know a lot of people use snappa for like two or three months for kind of like a, a specific project or they're working with a, you know a client and then three months later, they'll sign back up again. They'll use it for two months and they'll cancel. Um, so we have kind of a subset of customers that have like a, you know, an ongoing need and, and, you know, they stick around for quite a bit, but then, you know, we see that we have this other subset of customers that, you know, come in, use it for two months, cancel, come in, use it for three months, cancel. Uh, so the last thing we want to do is, um, piss off <laughs> those, uh, you know, those customers that kind of, you know, uh, need to use it for a couple months and and whatnot. So yeah. again, my stance has just been make it easy. If people aren't getting value, let them cancel. Um, and our approach is just let's just keep improving the product. Uh, let's make it as easy you know to use as possible. Let's keep adding value, and mm -hmm. we hope that over time that will you know re reduce churn. Um, I don't really like these 
you know, gimmicky tactics of uh, offering a, a one-time discount if they go to cancel or making them mm. contact support before we cancel. And uh, maybe that's not the right advice, but I've just never been a fan of that. No, I, I mean, I think you probably, you please the consumer much more by not putting barriers in the way. One of my, uh, what what's the product name? It's one of these photo uh, royalty-free photo uh, places. And I think what they do is like to get a decent plan where you can get, you know, I don't even know, it's like 10 images per month or something, something really low. You pay, what is it? You pay a yearly price, but they do it, but you pay it monthly. And then so you have to sign up for the full year. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you sign up and then you start paying monthly and then maybe month two or three rolls around and you're like, I don't really need this anymore. Like I, I'm done with whatever I had to do. So you go to cancel and they're like, no, sorry, you signed up for a year. You have to keep paying us each month until that mm-hmm. year rolls around or you can pay us this big lump sum to cancel your plan. Yeah. And, you know, of course, you know that going in when you sign up for that year or at least I thought I did. And and but it's just such a such a piss off when you go to, to actually cancel your plan. So, um, mm-hmm. I think gimmicks like that, they just don't do anyone any favors, except for maybe the bottom line for the company. So I, I don't know. It's uh, Maybe it's trade-offs, but I, I think you're you're doing the better thing. Um, so we talked about pricing. Um, we talked about uh, churn, that sort of stuff. Competition, I'm curious about that. You said you are in this space where there's a lot of competition. Um, maybe who are, who are some of your competitors and what sort of differentiates Snappa from them? Yeah, so um, probably the biggest one is is Canva. Um, PicMonkey's been around for a bit. Um, a few other ones uh, as well. So in in the early days, um, there was two things. Is again, so before we even started building Snappa, we kind of looked around at the landscape, and what we found was that tools were either overly complicated, but you know, pretty powerful, um, or they were very easy to use, but almost too simple to the point where it was just like a quote generator. So our positioning was we wanted to basically be in the middle where it was still easy to use, um, but still powerful enough that you can actually create professional looking graphics. Um, The other thing was that we noticed there is a lot of really good um, royalty free photos um, that were starting to be published on sites like, you know, Unsplash and Pexels and whatnot. Um, and you know, the majority of these photos could really be used for quite a wide variety of, of some of these social media and graphics and whatnot. And some of our competitors were, they had, they were offering kind of a few free photos, but they were doing, you know, pay a dollar here if you want to use this graphic or pay $10 here if you want the extended license. So our, our two differentiators, uh, in the beginning and, and still to this day was really, um, offering something that was super easy to use, but still, you know, powerful enough and having an all-inclusive pricing model. Whereas you pay us the flat fee for a month and you'll get, you know, millions of really nice, beautiful photos and not having to worry about, you know, paying us a dollar here or $10 here to use this template. Um, and so, yeah, just simplicity and, and, and ease of use is um, still what we strive for. That's really cool. <clears throat> that's a, that's a good, a, a good approach, I think. Um, so when it comes to marketing, I'm curious about this. You know, there are the kind of tried and true ways to market. You can 
just put your stuff out there on the socials. You can try to do uh, inbound with blog content, etc. What's uh, What have you found to work well for your product specifically? Is there anything that's maybe a little bit different than your typical run-of-the-mill marketing efforts? Uh, so in the early days, um, it, was, it was kind of interesting. So long story short, the um, business that we had worked on previously, I had I'd written a blog post of where to get free stock photos that, that ended up going viral and started getting quite a bit of traffic. And so when we were kind of thinking about Snappa, you know, one of our concerns was, you know, if at, a, at a low price point, we're going to need a lot of a lot of customers to make this work. And so we had the idea of, well, you know, what if we created a, a free stock photo site almost as like a lead gen tool um, that mm. we can then use to, to promote Snappa. So before we even built Snappa, we built um, a free stock photo site called stocksnap.io. Uh, we ended up selling it about two years ago. But in the early days, um, we ended up getting a lot of traffic to that uh, free stock photo site. And so, um, you know, I guess that would be called like engineering as marketing for people that have uh, read the book Traction. So, um, yeah, I, I would say when we first started, a lot of our leads were, were coming uh, in from that stock photo site. And then over time, uh, content marketing and SEO has basically been our bread and butter. Um, because we have, you know, a, a much lower lifetime value than some of these, you know, higher end enterprise SaaS tools, um, the reality is we just can't spend a ton of money acquiring customers. And um, we found, you know, a lot of, people are searching for um, solutions to, you know, how do I create a, you know, Facebook cover and what size do we use and um, all this kind of stuff. And so we've written a lot of um, what I would call bottom of the funnel content where mm. if someone's searching for, you know, how to create a Facebook cover or, you know, what, what, what are the dimensions of a Facebook cover? Well, there's a, there's a pretty good likely, there's a, there's a pretty good chance that, uh, you know, they actually need to create one and, and they can probably get value from a tool like Snappa. Um, so yeah, over time, we've just really doubled down on content marketing and SEO. And that's how we get a lot of uh, our leads uh, in addition to like word of mouth. Okay. Word of mouth would be just like recommendations. People use it. They, they really like it. Then they post about it, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, Snappa has a free plan. Um, hmm. So like most premium tools, you know, we get quite a lot of, of signups and then a small percentage of those convert to paying customers. Um, and so a lot of those free customers, you know, they, they try it out. They like the tool and, and obviously even paying customers for that matter. And, you know, a, a percentage of those end up telling their friends and, um, that kind of just spreads uh, spreads that way. Gotcha. Okay. So um, really good overview of all you know a bunch of elements of the business. So appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I, I'm curious about if folks out there are wanting to get into doing a SaaS product themselves. Uh, what like from the, the lessons you've learned, and I, I think your your experience with SaaS I think goes beyond Snappa from from what I've read. Um, what do you what would you recommend that people be mindful of or be thinking about when maybe they don't even have an idea for something uh, in mind, but they just know, you know, I'd love to get a product out there which can potentially do monthly recurring revenue like that's the the big goal. Um, wh what should folks be mindful of or what should they be thinking about when, when approaching it? Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> well, you know, one thing you did mention is it. You know, SaaS is really great once it gets going, um, but kind of like you alluded to, it, it it does take time. So, 
we were in kind of a unique position um, where, you know, we, we kind of looked at this problem and said, you know, what if, what if we built this like lead gen tool, right? Um, and we ended up building that first and that helped us get um, a lot of our first customers. And so we went from zero to 10K in MRR in six months, which for bootstrap standards is pretty decent. Um, whereas if you don't have that, it's just something that you need to be mindful of. So, you know, it could take, you know, sometimes it could take a year just to get to like 10K MRR. Um, I know, mm. yeah, Justin Jackson, um, I think I saw their MRR and um, the first year it just looked really slow and then it just started picking up and picking up and picking up. So, yeah, um, so yeah the, the long-term benefits of SaaS are, are really, really great. Um, just be mindful of you either need to really figure out the marketing ahead of time or as you're building the product or, or you know, when you launch um, to, to make that period, that, you know, initial lull period, um, you know, tolerable. Um, and then the or the other way to do it is, you know, potentially doing it on the side again for people that are considering bootstrapping, um, doing it on the side and try to build that up before you kind of uh, take the plunge and go all in on it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Is there, uh, do you have any thoughts about like a point at which you might say, man, this probably just isn't going to work? Like, is there a certain amount of time that passes with a certain kind of revenue goal that you, you should meet before you say, maybe this, there's just not a market for this. Maybe it's not going to work out. I, I'm curious if you think about that in any particular way. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if I really have a good answer. Um, you know, I think it's one of these things where if you have to try really hard to convince someone to use your product, I would say that's probably a bad sign. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, the first, you know, several months, maybe up to six months, there's going to be that um, stage where you're figuring out product market fit. You might need to add a feature. You might need to tweak the, the copy or the positioning. Um, but I would say like, you know, if I was struggling to get traction after a year of launching a product, um, I would be, um, I wouldn't necessarily throw in the towel right away, but at some point, you know, you really have to say, okay, what, what's wrong here? You know, why, why aren't people, you know, buying this product? Is there anything drastically that I can change? It's probably not going to be one, you know, one feature. Um, that would be my thing, but yeah, I, I don't really have a, a good, good answer for that one, to be honest. I mean, it's probably always so circumstantial. There's not yeah, really, yeah, yeah. It always, I'm sure, it depends. Were, were there any? Was there anything that uh, changed drastically with Snappa along the way? Like, was there a point at which you guys were like, "We need to sort of rejig the thing so that it's more attractive to to more buyers"? We we try we validated it as much as possible beforehand because we've had some failed products in the past, um, mm -hmm. and so we we didn't want to make that mistake again. So the way that we did it was, um, once again, we, we first launched the Freestock photo site because um, we knew there was an opportunity to curate, um, you know, these Creative Commons photos and add search functionality. Because at the time, a lot of these sites, they were just releasing like 10 new photos every week or something, but couldn't really search them. And then once we had the audience from that stock photo site, then we wanted to see if the SaaS app was something that people get value for. So 
Um, first, we did a, a survey just asking what people were using the free stock photos for. And, you know, a bunch of them came back saying, oh, I'm using it for social media. I'm using, uh, using it for content marketing. Um, so then I kind of uh, went one step further and uh, did about 15 to 20 uh, customer development calls with um, some of those people to figure out, you know, what their current process was for graphic design, what tools they were using. Um, what kind of pain points they had. And I kind of followed the um, uh, kind of questioning in the Lean Customer Development book, a really good book for, for anyone who hasn't read it. And then so from there, we had a pretty good, uh, we were fairly confident that there was definitely a need for this product. And only then did we actually start, you know, or did uh, my co-founder start writing the code for it. Okay. And then, um, then we launched our kind of beta or alpha, if you will. And then we started to get even more customer feedback of, oh, we really like this. It would be awesome if, you know, if it did this and, and whatnot. Um, and then we officially launched a product. So fortunately, when we, we did launch, um, you know, I would say we kind of hit that product market fit um, pr pretty quickly. Um, and we didn't have to, obviously, you know, there's tweaks and, you know, features. Uh, we've added a ton of features <laughs> since the, the day that we launched the products got a lot better. Um, but it's not like we launched with something and then we had to pivot into a completely different direction. Yeah. Um, so I would say if you if you are launching a SaaS because of how, especially nowadays, how long it takes to you know develop these things and and how much uh, effort needs to be put into it, um, try to validate it as much as possible um, before you you launch. Obviously, until you actually start charging customers. Um, you'll never know for sure, but um, you, mm -hmm. you just, you always want to de-risk uh, as much as possible. And that's, that's a mistake that we've made <laughs> in the earlier days. And it's, it's not a fun one to make. So, and you mentioned uh, some failed SaaS products early on. Uh, curious if you're interested in chatting on that. I mean, we don't have to go into too much detail, but what are maybe some, uh, if there are any sort of patterns that, that happened with those products uh, as to why they failed that you pulled out what are what are some of those things I mean what are what were some of the the commonalities they had I suppose that that just meant they they weren't going to work yeah so I think the the two main things are willingness to pay and customer behavior so um, if someone today is using a spreadsheet um, and you've got this idea to build the SaaS that's going to make it way easier to use than the spreadsheet that they're using um, I would first ask them, hey, you're using this spreadsheet right now. Um, have you considered, you know, doing something else or have you evaluated any other tools? And if they say no, I would be very concerned about okay. their willingness to pay for the, um, the SaaS app because they basically said or they're basically telling you in that answer is that the pain point, the pain hasn't been um, big enough to even look at whether there's alternatives or even mm. consider doing it another way. Um, and the danger is if you go to that same person and say, hey, you're using the spreadsheet right now. I've got this, you know, SaaS tool that I'm building. Um, would you pay for this? 90% are probably going to say yes, because they don't want to hurt your feelings. Um, right. And then, but then when you come to launch it, um, they might say, ah, you know what? Actually, you know, the spreadsheet's fine. Like, uh, I'm okay with this. <laughs> so right. you're, um, so that's kind of an example. And, and that's kind of, um, you know, what happened in some of our, uh, you know, other, uh, other endeavors. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you could either take payment, um, 
I mean, the two ways to kind of try to get around that is either ask for, um, you know, payment upfront, like pre-sell your product. Or like I said, you want to be sure that they've actually explored alternatives. There actually is a, a strong pain point and a strong uh, willingness to pay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The Yeah, I, I've... I've definitely heard the recommendation before to try to get a prepayment for your product before you even go to launch it. Um, and then I've heard others sort of come against that and say, that's not a great way to um, to go into building a product to, to charge people before it's even ready. So there seems to be a split, at least from what I've seen, uh, opinion-wise on that. Um, but, you know, at least it if you can do that, it's. It, it, I think it's a lot of validation, especially if you get a critical mass early on. Um, so that's. Yeah, uh, yeah I was just yeah. gonna say like, and and I, we've never done a presale. Um, we haven't done okay. it for Snappa. So I, I'm yeah, I, I'm not suggesting to go do that. The difference though is that when you know we were doing customer develop, development for Snappa, um, people were using Photoshop, for example, or they were mm. using you know another tool that they were actually paying for. So. You know, I felt pretty confident. Well, if we can provide a better tool than what they're currently using, um, then there's no reason why they wouldn't be able to pay us, right? Um, so I wasn't yeah. too worried about the willingness to pay side of thing. It was more so about are we going to provide enough value that they would rather use us versus either the tools that they're using, or you know, uh, and the other thing too is that they were, you know, a lot of people had either in-house designers or freelance designers, but they just had a lot of issues with them. Well, uh, a designer costs a lot more than a $15 a month SaaS tool, right? Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of what, what I was trying to get at with, with that is just making sure that there is some willingness to pay and that um, there is pain point and that they have tried yeah. other solutions and, and that they're, they're kind of frustrated. You mentioned uh, the competitors that you've got, Canva being a, a popular one. When you started down this road with Snappa, was that something in your mind that was a deterrent from maybe going forward? Like, did you have to fight through the urge to say, ah, oh, there's already products out there that are solving this. Um, you know, why would we even explore this? Or was it more so that you saw that there's a market that exists here. Um, perhaps it's underserved. Perhaps it needs to be served in a better way. Um, that's why we want to go forward. And I guess what I'm getting at is if people are looking at doing a SaaS product, I think sometimes it's tempting to come up with an idea, Google around as much as you can. And, and if you see that nothing exists, you're like, aha, I've got you know a product that I can go build and it'll be great. Whereas that's I think most people uh, who have who have been down the road you have been probably agree that it's that's maybe not such a good sign because it may, maybe it means there's not not really a market for your product. So, I, but I'm curious, like in the the kind of space that you're in, whether it was a deterrent for you, um, whether you had to sort of like fight through this urge to say, nah, it's already covered. Yeah. So again, I think this is one really. Um, good advantage of, of being bootstrapped and not raising money is that um, if there's already a market there, you don't have to dominate that market, right? You, you don't mm -hmm. have to like crush the competition, so to speak. Um, you just need to um, figure out how you can capture a, a sliver of that market or a percentage of that market. Um, so again, um, we we, we looked at the tools, we, we did some customer development. And again, we, what, what we saw at least was 
there was either these tools that did a lot, but were still difficult and clunky and, and kind of, you know, not the most user friendly. Um, and then you had these tools that were just, you know, essentially quote generators. Um, and so we thought like, this is where we're going to position Snappa. This is, you know, we're going to have an all-inclusive pricing model where we're, it's mm. going to be easy to use. Um, and we don't have to, you know, dominate the market. <laughs> we just need a, a sliver of that. And if, if we, um, you know, remain bootstrapped in a small team, then um, we can potentially grow a really, really good business. So mm. um, I definitely don't see that as a deterrent. I think for people that are bootstrapping, generally speaking, I, I don't like speaking in absolutes, uh, but generally speaking, I think you'll probably have an easier time to pick an established market or somewhat of an established market um, mm. and figure out how to position yourselves and differentiate uh, against the competition um, rather than, you know, invent this brand new product and uh, a brand new product category and have to educate why, you know, people need your product and, and all that kind of stuff. Not not saying that it can be done and, and people that are successful at that usually are very successful. So it, it can definitely pay off. Um, but generally speaking, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, I mean, you've been at this for a while uh, now. I think there was maybe in the early 2000s from what I remember seeing there was you know a, and i suppose there still is but there there's this this tendency for people to just be enamored by the idea of like a venture-backed startup going huge into the billions in silicon valley and i think at least in in the circles that i kind of keep on, online nowadays it seems like it's becoming more I don't know the 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 bootstrap model, the indie hacker model is becoming a little bit more appreciated. Is that something you've seen too over the years? Are you, are you seeing people sort of um, like the idea of the lifestyle business of the bootstrap business a little bit better now? Um, I'm curious if like if you have any sort of thoughts as to why that might be changing. If if you see it changing, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I left I left uh, the day job in 2014. So um, you know by no means a, a grizzled veteran, but the, the, this is the way I see it, right? Is um, if you go the VC route, you have a small chance of making a shit ton of money and building this crazy product. Um, with bootstrapping, you have a higher percentage of, of making or making a, a, a nice living and potentially per, very lucrative. Um, but you know, you're not going to have that billion dollar exit kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, and so I'm typically more, I would consider myself more of a risk averse, more of a probabilities type of personality. Um, so for me, if we're talking just like what I think has the highest likelihood of you know, making you successful and wealthy. I mean, I genuinely think that bootstrapping um, is the way to go. But if, you know, people have dreams of being the next Mark Zuckerberg, uh, then the reality is like, that's not going to happen if, if you're if you're bootstrapping. So I think, um, you know, nowadays with, uh, and I wouldn't say I'm definitely not like a minimalist. Um, but you know, I, I, I just, uh, I think health is important. Family is important. Relationships is important. Um, you know, that's wealth, right? Like for me mm -hmm. being able to go to the gym at one o'clock, uh, in the afternoon, um, and not feel like I'm letting my investors down, uh, that that's important to me, right? Like 
you know, mm-hmm. being able to spend time with my fiance and, and my friends, like that's really important to me. And I value that more than, you know, having a billion dollar company and working like 20 hours a week. Yeah. Um, and so I think the more that, you know, these self-funded and bootstrap businesses, I mean, you know, look at Nathan Barry from ConvertKit. I think they're doing mm-hmm. like $20 million a year or something like that. Now, but, yeah. I mean, that's incredible. Like to, mm-hmm. to, to I mean, that's, um, you know, that, that's, that's probably more lucrative than a lot of VC back companies. Right. <laughs> and so I right. think the more of these stories, um, that are going to come out and, uh, the, the more people realize like you don't have to take funding, you don't have to go the VC route to, to, to even, um, you know, generate $20 million a year. I think more people might start leaning this way, but again, um, yeah. I think VC does have its time and place. Um, and I think it's just important to recognize, you know, when, when to go for it. I, I think at a bare minimum, everyone should try to start bootstrap, try to do it as long as possible until they reach that point where it's like, I can't keep up. We're on a rocket ship here. I can barely yeah. hang on. You know, we need the funding to, to take it to the next level. Yeah, totally. Using it strategically, right? As opposed to just <laughs> having a goal of getting to a, a point where we're a funded company. Like that that maybe isn't such yeah. a, a great goal just in and of itself. And um, I think, cool. the, yeah, sorry, one one thing I just forgot. Yeah. I, I think, you know, there, there's two other things too. Like 10 years ago or 20 years ago, AWS didn't exist, right? So yeah. to yep. build a SaaS company back in the day, you literally needed probably hundreds of thousands of dollars in hardware. That's true. Um, so maybe it wasn't even possible back then. Whereas now it's almost free to start a software company. Like it's absolutely insane. I mean, other than your time, uh, your costs are just, is is extremely low. So I also think the barrier to start a software company is significantly less now. Um, and so again, I don't think you really need a lot of funding to get going. So. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's it's a different landscape now than it was in the past, um, yeah. which is great. It's exciting. It's it's it leads to a lot more opportunities. What's the um, I was I was going to ask for some book recommendations uh, beyond the ones you've already uh, recommended. So we'll get to that. But I, I before we go there, um, what's the what's the future for Snappa? What what do you hope the future to be? Um, are do you do you have it in mind to uh, go for some sort of exit uh, at some point, or is it just like keep on going with the uh, the monthly recurring revenue? Yeah, uh, right now we don't really have any plans to sell. Um, we're actually going through a major refactor right now. Um, uh, so we're, we're probably going to have a pretty huge product update um, sometime before the end of the year, which we're really excited about. Um, and I think um, going into the next year, we, we kind of want to expand that team plan a little bit, make it a, a bit easier, not, not go the enterprise route, but kind of just, you know, add a bit of a, a step up. Um, so yeah, we, we plan to, you know, keep growing and, and keep expanding and, um, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. I try not to plan too far in ahead. So usually kind of like a year at a time kind of thing and, you know, whatever happens, happens. For sure. That's great. So yeah, you mentioned, uh, lean customer development is one book. Uh, Traction, I I think was another one. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, Traction by, uh, Gabriel Weinberg and, and Justin Maris. All right, cool. Um, yeah, any others that you'd recommend for folks kind of curious about getting into uh, the SaaS game? I think in terms of SaaS specifically, um, yeah, those are really good because at the end of the day, you want you need to figure out 
how you're actually going to get customers. And um, yeah, I think lean customer development is really good for um, thinking about the validation piece and whatnot. Excellent. Cool. We'll link that up. Um, so awesome, man. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a good uh, good place to start wrapping up. Um, do you have anything you'd like to kind of, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely put Snappa links to it and everything. Anything else you'd like to plug, though, um, from, from your personal side or anything else? Um, yeah, I mean, if, if people want to reach out, um, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is cgimmer. And I also have a personal website. There's not too much on there right now, but... Um, I'm trying to commit to at least one post a month for this year. Um, so you can check out some of my stuff on chrisgimmer.com if you're curious. Um, I actually have a you know lengthy post of how we kind of started Snappa. And the one I'm working on right now is um, how we kind of took it from 10K to a million with, with all the marketing that we did. So uh, people can sign up to, uh, to get notified for that. Great. I'm looking forward to that. That's uh, it's going to be very information rich, I am sure. So um, I'll link all of those things up in the show notes. And uh, yeah, man, thanks a lot for being here. This was, uh, this was a lot of fun. I'm uh, very glad we got to sit down and, and chat about Snappa's journey and your journey. And uh, maybe we can do a round two sometime in the future when you're at maybe 10 million <laughs> or a billion. My pleasure. I'll definitely come back. Thank you so much once again for tuning in to the Entrepreneurial Coder podcast today. This was episode 29 with Christopher Gimmer. You can find show notes with links to all the resources that Christopher mentioned at ecpodcast.io. If you'd like to follow along on Twitter, it's twitter.com slash coderpodcast. And if you would like to subscribe, you can go to ecpodcast.io slash subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, it would be awesome if you could leave a rating and review. Until next time, happy hacking.